If you would, please, uh, open up your Bibles, because we start a new book this morning, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Yes, we start a new book. Yes, it is one of my favorite books. <laughs> it is my favorite book now. Romans was my favorite book, but now 1 Corinthians is my favorite book. And as we start 1 Corinthians, we will continue our journey through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Why? Because we want you and I want the whole counsel of God, not pick and choose based on the flavor or culture. We want the whole counsel of God. Because as we go through verse by verse, we have found and discovered that God will answer and speak to our hearts about the things that are going on in your life, not in my life. It will speak to my life. I have a whole week of God speaking and correcting and changing and molding and shaping and, and uh, refining me a whole week. But now the word is coming to you and to minister to you and encourage you in your walk and your faith and to do a work, a mighty work that he wants to do. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit that can happen. And as we take a look at this new book, and like every new book that we start, we, take at, we go right back to the basics and we look at who, what, where, when, and why. And that's what we're going to try to do here today. And we'll see how far we get in regards to the verses here. But hang on, follow along, we're going for a ride here. So if you could please just follow along with me on the, the first, uh, we're going to try nine verses today, but we're, we'll see how we go. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as we take a look at these verses, we're going to find here the very first who of who's involved with what we see in this letter, this epistle, and we know right, right through the very beginning in verse 1, we see Paul is mentioned. And we know Paul. We've, we've heard Paul. Paul is, is in, in your Bible, the 2B should be italicized because he's really Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Paul here, in writing this, we confirm that throughout. And as we go further into 1 Corinthians, we see a couple of more examples of why we know Paul was clearly uh, the person God used to, to write this letter. 
And as we take a look at this, Paul follows a normal pattern of writing a letter in ancient times. And, and in, the, in the ancient times, I mean, our letters, we usually start off by uh, putting down um, their name and you end the letter with your name. You know, oh, Tom, it's great to, you know, hello, Tom, it's just the blah, 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 blah. And at the very end, you say, oh, love, Samantha. And that's usually how we do it. But back in those days, they started with who was writing the letter and then ending with the purpose of who they're writing to. And so Paul continued, and, and obviously in this letter we see that he can, you know, starts off and he in, introduces himself and another gentleman, uh, Sosthenes, our brother. So they're together uh, in regards to this, and they're making that known in this letter to uh, the Corinthians. And we conclude with writing who the letter is from here, that um, Paul was speaking directly to those in the city of uh, Corinth. And Paul had a very extensive knowledge of Corinth because beginning with uh, when his first missionary journey took him to this city of Corinth, and they're coming there after Athens and staying there about a year and a half. And we see that in Acts 18. And you'll see Corinth right there as part of uh, Achaia. And you see that it, the purple coming around through and crossing over into Corinth. And that is where everything is taking place. That's what he is writing to, I should say. Because right now he's in Ephesus uh, when he takes care of and writes this letter. So, so it's, it's, he was there for a year and a half. He knows these people, these Christians. He started the church in Corinth in Acts 18. Now about three years after Paul had left Corinth, while he was hanging out in Ephesus, some 200 miles east of across the Aegean Sea, working very hard for what God had called him to do right where he wanted him to be at that point in time, after he left there, major problems already started within three years of that Corinth church. Things were starting to go awry. All kinds of problems started surfacing. And those major problems developed in the church. And Paul wrote a letter to those Christians in Corinth uh, from the city of Ephesus in Acts 19. And that is noted in, when we get to it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So we know that he wrote a letter prior to 1 Corinthians to these Christians regarding the problems going on in those church. But that letter was lost. We know, no one knows and has not or doesn't. We don't have that epistle. We do have this, obviously, the 1 and 2 Corinthians. But we do not have that letter and probably other letters that he was sending back to that church that he started in Corinth. Now, it's interesting, Paul received reports, as we will see in 1 Corinthians here, chapter 1, verse 11. If you put your eyes on verse 11, you will notice that there were reports coming from people in Cleo's household about these disturbances that were taking place. And that it appears that a delegation from Corinth came to Paul in Ephesus, according to 1 Corinthians 16, 7. And brought him these series of questions or series of issues to ask Paul how in guidance or answers or instructions, how do we deal with these issues in the church? 
Because things are going crazy and we need your feedback. We need your instruction. How do we deal with this in a godly way? And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Because these people were willing to send people all the way 200 miles to find Paul just to be able to figure out how to deal with the problems and disorders happening in the church. That is why 1 Corinthians, this epistle, was written. It's Paul's response to those problems and concerns that was happening in that church. This book is divided into two parts that we will find. The first part, Paul deals with the sin in the church, chapters 1 through 6. Paul is going to answer and highlight these solutions or instructions dealing with divisive groups that were taking place, lawsuits that were going against Christians one another, lawsuits taking place, which was not supposed to happen, problems about marriage and dealing with marriage, idolatry, disorderly conduct in public worship, false apostles, uh, spiritual gifts and how they were exercised, and the resurrection, and et cetera, et cetera. There was all kinds of problems in this church. That's the first part of the first Corinthians. But then the second part we will get to is chapter 7 through 16, where he will answer these concerns or in, uh, you know, address or engulf all these, these things that are taking place. And Paul will instruct the Corinthian church regarding effective ministry, true unity in Christ, the spiritual maturity, the Christian charity, addressing liberty, church conduct, spiritual gifts, and dealing with the resurrection. Oh, how important that the Corinthians should take heed of what Paul said as we learn in Romans. Do you remember the, what Paul warned the Romans? And, he, and obviously in Corinthia, in Corinth, he should be, doing this, should be doing the same thing. Romans 12, 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. That is what we should do. That's what they should be doing because if they did, they would not be having the problems they were having in the church. Because people are not willing. They were not willing. And as we see and go through here in Corinth, that these people had all of these problems because they were not dying of self and living for Jesus. And when you live for yourself and don't live for Jesus and you become divisional and people start causing division, there's kinds of problems and rippling of problems within a church. But because of all the time Paul spent in Corinth, all the letters he had wrote them, we know more about these Christians in Corinth than any other church Christians in the New Testament. All of the things in the New Testament, it's all back to these these, 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 these Christians. Now he's called and he mentions Paul right at the very beginning that he's an apostle. Right in the very onset. And why is he telling him? These people knew who he was. But why did he have to say that? Well, because we know that there were some challenges. People wasn't accepting the fact that he was an apostle. Now he's not one of the 12 apostles. We know that in the scriptures. But that doesn't mean he wasn't called by God to go out and share the gospel and start churches and do the things that God's going to call him to do. Right from the very beginning, there was this, this, this challenge 
of, and it probably Paul dealt with this constantly, his, his apostolic credentials of why he was doing or being in positions of leadership. And he was probably being constantly challenged of his position. And that was evidence in First and Second Corinthians when we will be studying that. And, but Paul's standing and authority as an apostle were not appreciated by them, but that didn't mean that he wasn't an apostle, that God had called him to do the work. Paul here is, is basically declaring that Jesus Christ has a will for his life to go out and to share the gospel. To be an ambassador for him. That's what all what apostle means. And so Paul has already begun to contending with the Christians in Corinth. And as he was saying, he's, not, he's, he's basically saying, you all may not recognize my credentials as an, a, an apostle being sent out by God to do the work of the ministry. But that didn't bother him. That didn't challenge him. That didn't stop him from going out and doing what God had put on his heart to do. <clears throat> It was important that he follow through and be obedient to what God has called him to do and not get wrapped up in the emotions and the feelings and everything else what people come against him to do. But what is an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, when we get to that, will be even more clear. But we learn through this word that this this special ambassador, this role that God puts on Paul's life to go out and to teach about Jesus Christ to the world and to the church was what God put on his heart to do. Now Sosthenes, our brother here in this first verse, at the end of the first verse, who is this guy? He's a brother, obviously. But where does he pop up earlier than this? If you know, we see him earlier in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. This is the same guy. He was the head of the Corinthian synagogue who was beaten because he persecuted Paul when Paul first came. So Paul used to come into the town. He would go to the synagogue. He would take the opportunity to be able to, to share about the grace of God. And that is the law should not be, is not about the law. It's about about grace, and, and they, that would cause all kinds of uproar. And in this case, this guy was running the synagogue at the time, and he had him beaten. And so when Paul first came there in Corinth, initially there was a ruler of the synagogue. His name was Crispos, and we noticed that when he first came there, he met this guy at the synagogue. Now, it's a fascinating story as you go back and read this because when he went in there and this Christmas came against him because Paul was speaking the, the truth of the grace of God in, the, in Jesus Christ. What's interesting is this guy um, got saved. We see in Acts 18.8, he became a believed on the Lord with all of his household. He was saved based on the, the Paul's teaching and preaching. He got saved in his whole household. And so for whatever reason, he got fired or he quit his job running the synagogue and he followed, followed, uh, followed Christ. But this guy Sosthenes was the replacement of Crispos, and this guy came in, and because he was also coming against Paul and all kinds of uprising, and they tried to get 
Paul to be to be kicked out. And because when Paul started going, he left the synagogue. He went next door and started preaching next door. And when he started preaching next door to the synagogue, they started trying to come against him. They started going to the uh, the rulers and trying to get them to come against him. And they didn't want anything to do with him. These are religious matters. I don't want anything to do with this. Forget this. And what happened was the Roman officials, in a bite of like an anti-Semitic backlash against the Jews, tried to persecute Paul. But it didn't stop Paul doing what God called him to do. But we also know how then does this Sosthenes guy go from running the synagogue then being trying to persecute Paul, it didn't work. They end up coming against Sosthenes, and he ends up going through a beating. And now we see him, our brother. Well, he's probably the guy, as we know back in, as, uh, as we know the scripture here in ancient uh, world, God used scribes to write down the letters as Paul and others would read, would say, and as God and the Holy Spirit was leading them, they would write down the words. And so Sosthenes, it appears, is now a brother, and he's the one following Paul around writing down this letter, this epistle. What an encouragement this is to you and I. Here's a man who was led to protest Paul, and the next moment he's now, the Sosthenes, laboring with and helping and encouraging and being alongside Paul in the ministry and writing down those scriptures that the Lord has given. The Holy Spirit was working through Paul. And that is so true today for you and I. As you are sharing the gospel, the good news with those around you, you will find some will vehemently, angrily come against you for sharing the truth. Be encouraged because those people are the ones who are right at the cusp of possibly giving their life to Christ. I found in my, my history of, being with, of sharing the gospel, those who look at me after I shared the gospel with them and they say, oh, that's that's, that's good for you. That's, that's, that, that will help you. But I've got my own way. Those, those people I've never seen come to the Lord. Those are the last ones that I would see come to the Lord. Because they have this passive, I'm okay, you're okay. My ways and your ways are all the same. We're all going to have. There's no pricking by the Holy Spirit. There's no poking, no provoking by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not working in the light because they're very passive. But if someone comes against you and pushes back vehemently, oh, now this, this person might be close. That, that is deep. That's so close. And very encouraging. Just like this guy Sosthenes. So if you're ministering to anyone, if you're sharing with anybody right now and they're angrily pushing back against you, oh, I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, continue to pray for them because they could be that close to surrendering their life to Christ. Now we see in verse 2 here that to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place called on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, by theirs and ours. So he, he highlights here in verse 2, to the church of God. 
He mentions that, and that's very important for you and I, because most people today associate the word church with a building where Christians meet. But if the Greek, then the Greek word for the church is ecclesia, I think is how it is, was a non-religious, but a merge, it means assembly. It means anyone who gathered together, they called it a church or assembly of people like-minded coming together for a common purpose. We see that used today as we Christians coming together like-minded to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that and we call ourselves a church. It's not the building. Many people worship a building and it has to be a certain look. If you've been around Calvary chapels, especially this one, we've been in a hotel, we've been here, and then we'll go to an, an old uh, apartment store. But wherever you gather in a house or here, that is a church because you're gathering together to worship your God, and that's what's important. But here he says, well, these are not the people of the church, but he says the church of God. Why is that? Well, because... Paul wanted to make sure they understood that this is the church of God. It's what God has built. It's what God is doing. What is God has brought people together, not man. If you want to have a church of assembly for basket weaving, you can go out there and call it the church of basket weaving, but it won't be of God. It will just be a bunch of people coming together with like-minded of building and making baskets. But Paul wanted to make sure it's understood that this is the church of God. This is where God has brought people together, his children, to be together, to fellowship. That's why he said, we know in the scriptures, not to forsake the fellowship, because that is what God wants for you in my life. You and I are to come together in fellowship, not to avoid it, because God moves in his church, moves within his people, and uses his people for one another. So this is not a church of Corinth. It's not a church of England. There's no such thing as that. There's only one church, and that is the church of God. And as long as you make that clear and understanding that, it's all in perspective. It's going to come clear for you, and you don't put this church of England or the church of this or the church. Of, there's no such. It's a church of God. That's all there is, which is in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a capital city of Achaia. And Corinth was one of the greatest cities of ancient world in a community very much like what we refer to, what came to my mind this week, was Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., it was a prosperous city, a growing city, but it was also very corrupt and had a, a, a very deserved reputation of reckless pursuit of pleasure. Corinth was a Rich ethnic mixture. Everyone was gathering in that city because it was a gateway from the city of the seamen. We're bringing all the goods and all the things that you would get from all around the world was coming. That was a, it's a central place that was able to move the products, goods, and services. Corinth, in historically, we can see was a center of sports, a center for government, a center for military, a center for business. All of these things were happening in this city and everyone wanted to go there because it was the happening place. But Paul came to Corinth in 50 AD. The city had been famous for hundreds of years before he was even born. 
The Romans destroyed, uh, destroyed Corinth in 146 BC, but Julius Caesar rebuilt the city a hundred years later. And many things were famous there. Historically, we see in the books that they were famous for their pottery, they were famous for their arts. They were very the place to go, and all the artists along with it. They had famous athletic contests, Ismin or the Ismin Games, which was only second to the Olympic Games. They held it at the temple of the Poseidon Temple in Corinth. Every two years, they would gather and have these, these games where they were competing against all these representing their gods. And they, their temples were built for Poseidon, Apollo, and Hermes, and Athian, and Serpes, and all these other these goddesses and gods, and especially the Corinthian Aphrodite. There was a temple there. They had a thousand prostitutes or um, priestess out there, and they would come down to meet the needs of all these seamen that were coming in on the boats. And it was a form of worship of prost through prostitution. It was a horrendous place focused on pleasure. Corinth was a major business. It was a four and a half mile wide isthmus of land. If you look at the map, you'll notice there's just a little connection. And so instead of going around the foot of the peninsula and going around the very treacherous waters to try to get to cross from one into the inlet to the other, they would bring their vessels, their boats up to the shore. They had these special logs and they would roll for four, four and a half miles from one inside to the other to get across so they wouldn't have to go all the way around and, and, and uh, risk the, the journey. And if, there wasn't, if it was too big of a vessel, that what they would do is they would then take the cargo off, they would transport it across that four miles, and then they would put it back on another boat so that it could continue. But if it was a small boat, they left it there, and they just literally, the, the manual labor would just push those boats across. And because of that, all of the products, goods, and services would be a, a melting pot right there for people to, to partake in. Huge money movement. But the Corinthian people were also known for partying, partying drunkenness and loose sexual morals. Now you compare that to what Paul is saying here. The church of God in Corinth. Those are two competing thoughts right there. But what happens is in understanding the intensity of what happens when you're in a city that is morally decaying in front of you, that is all about prosperity and money and things and, and, and wealth and trying to get that. And you've got the music and the arts and all the stuff to keep you entertained and pleasured. But then you've got a church of God in the middle of that city trying to spread the good news and the gospel. What conflict that will happen within a community? And how does the church of God influence or have influence in, in, in Corinth? The question is, the bottom line is, is that is the church influencing the city or is the city influencing the church? 
Well, right here in the very beginning, as we know and see the happenings, it appears, and it very clearly as we will continue, this church that started well is not doing well. They've allowed the city influence, the culture, to come into the church and not the church going out and influencing the culture of the community. Yes, we're in a boat. We're in the lake. We're in the world. We're in it. But you cannot, what's, what's worse is when you allow the world, the water, to come into the boat. That's what's the problem. And if water does splash into the boat, you are to bail it and get it out. You don't let the water stay there because more water is going to come in. And all of a sudden when water's there, you get comfortable and you allow the water to come in. Oh, this feels like bath water. It's almost becoming like a little um, uh, whirlpool. It's comfortable. And eventually that boat will sink. And that is what we're seeing in the church of God here or the church in Corinth because what's happening is the city has now come into that church and now Paul is having to write and deal with how to deal with all these issues within the church. Now Paul continues here in the description of the Corinthian Christians and he says those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus called to be saints. So the word sanctified and saints here in this verse communicate the same idea. It's the same word. It's just in different perspectives. But what this is encouraging is even though things were going awry in this church, Paul stills calling them and understanding that they are saved. They are saints. They have been sanctified by Jesus Christ by faith. But yes, they're having problems in that church. doesn't mean they're not saved. They're saved. They're just having challenges and how, how to deal with them. And because they're saints, because they're brothers and sisters, Paul has such a heart for these people. Even though they had morality problems, doctrine problems, church government problems, spiritual gift problems, church service problems, authority problems, all of it was as clear as can be within this church. But they were still saints. This wasn't some form of flattery by Paul. He wasn't calling them saints because it was the right thing to do. And he wasn't giving them a, okay, let's give them a, a really encouraging, oh, you're saints, and then because the rest of the letter he's just going to rebuke them. That wasn't his purpose. Paul was holding on to understanding. We see that in Acts 18, verse 10. He says, I have many, God said, says, I have many people in this city. He understood God had started a work and continues to work in that city, and there were many of his people there, many brothers and sisters there. They weren't all heathens. They were Christians but unfortunately, they were living cardinally. 
They were cardinal Christians. They were living like the world. They were allowing the, the world to come into their lives, into the church, and it was causing serious, serious problems. Now, in verse 3, we see grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he greets them with two key words here, grace and peace, which was very typical for Paul. And we see that five other times where he says and greets that in other places and other, in other letters where he says that exact same thing, grace to you and peace from God. Why is that important? Because those are two elements for you and I as well today. That grace is always first, peace, peace will always be second. And that is because grace is the source of our peace. Grace, without grace, there is and cannot have everlasting peace in your life. You must understand the grace of God and how that applies to your life that you have been forgiven before there's lasting peace that is in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. Paul will often, more than 17 times in, the in this letter, refer to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because each of those names is a very important aspect of you and I need to understand. When, he, when, he, when you say Lord or when he writes Lord here, it's a title designating not only master and boss, but also the Lord revealed in the Old Testament, meaning Yahweh or Jehovah. It is God Almighty. He's your master. He's your Lord. He is everything. He's above all. That's not some loose word of, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. It's just not a, some we see in Scripture say, Lord, Lord, but they really don't know him. They haven't turned their life over to them as being the master, their boss of their life. But they still call him Lord. But you should only be calling him Lord if he's truly your Lord of your life. Jesus was the name, given name of the son of Mary and adopted son of Joseph. And in the Greek pronunciation is Joshua. The name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Christ is the ancient Greek translation for the Hebrew word for Messiah or anointed one. This is the one prophesied of the Old Testament scriptures sent by the Father to save and deliver you and me. To, to, to save the world. So that's why he continues over and over for you and I to also understand Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important for you to understand who he is. And what does he mean in your life? Is he your savior? Is he your boss, your master of your life? For Paul, he is. What he's trying to get across to the Corinthians is it needs to be. Because if he was your Lord, if he's, if he's Jesus, if he's Christ to you, you would correct your behavior and the attitude that's going on in the church right now. And we will see, as we get in next week with verses 4 through 9, what the 
grace of God will look like. Because not only in his introduction here does he say who he is, who's with him, and who he's speaking to, the church of God that's located in Corinth. But he's then going to remind them of the grace of God. And why is that important? As we go through 1 Corinthians, he's going to be reminding them of the grace of God because he's about to correct them and rebuke them and, and help them understand how to correct the issues that are going on in their church. And it's going to take the grace of God for them to get through it. Because where there is no grace, destruction is going to take place. People become legalistic. People become demanding of their rights. They start, division starts happening because they don't get their way. And so Paul is going to remind them of the grace that God has in their life because as brothers and sisters, he says, oh, it's only by the grace of God that you can continue day by day. He'll next week, we'll see, not only will he address the fact that by the grace of God, they're eternally saved, but how important it is that you have the grace of God to live a life day by day. Because apart from the grace of God, you and I would, oh, what a difficult life it would be as a Christian. And that's just the introduction. Let us pray.